0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Today in the show we're going to talk a little about soil and plant micronutrient issues. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743 or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So, Uh, A few weeks ago, we had just mentioned we were doing a little construction in the Ag PhD studio area, and uh, we're doing a little more today. So if you hear some loud noises (laughs) during this show, you'll know it's just uh, our guys working on a little construction right on the other side of the wall from our studio. And by the way, our, our studio is right on our home farm in the home section where Darren and I both grew up and where I still live today. So, Uh, it's really nice when we can just walk out the door of our studio, we're right on our farm, we're looking at crops. Now, we're not going to be looking at crops today because we're getting a bunch of snow and wind again. Uh, That's just what's going on at this time of year. And so let me say this, before we get into anything else today, it's really hard sometimes when you look outside, you see the snow, you look at the thermometer and it's like 10 degrees and you go, yeah, it's going to be forever before we get to farm. But you know what? What I always find is spring comes quicker than I think every single year. And if I don't work hard to get prepared, then all of a sudden it's here and the guys in our farm are going, okay, well, what was our plan again? What are we doing here? And I go, doggone it. I did not do a good enough job pre-planning or pre-coaching them on what we needed to do. And so if you want to talk about New Year's resolutions, that's one of the things on our farm. And it's one of the things that I think you should consider as well is just try to be more organized, plan ahead, and make sure everybody in your farm knows what the plan is. And these winter months, especially when you're in the northern U.S., I, I mean, where you can't do a whole lot outside, I mean, obviously, unless you got livestock, but you're not doing anything with your crops or field, um, that's the time to plan. That's the time to get going. And so I, I, I know for, for Darren and me growing up on our farm, our dad was pushing us all the time in the off season, in season, when there are a million things to do and it's plain as day what you should be doing, well, yeah, most everybody puts in lots of hours. But are you putting in lots of hours in the winter? Are you doing every last thing you possibly can to make sure that your yields are better, your profits are better, things run smoother on your farm? So, just something for you to at least be thinking about. And along those same lines, It's very easy to get focused on N, P, and K because every fertilizer dealer in the world is talking to you about N, P, and K. They want to sell you N, P, and K. And I'm not saying that's bad. It's fine. Those are the major nutrients or primary nutrients as they would be called. Well, I also want you to think about the micronutrients a little bit. You don't have to spend lots of money or put on lots of product or anything like that. But if you don't have that little bit of micronutrient out there, then all of a sudden, all that money you spent on that great seed and your good herbicide program, uh, your other fertility needs, NPK, maybe sulfur, calcium, magnesium, all that stuff can go to waste because you don't have $5 worth of zinc out there or a little bit more boron or some manganese or something like that. So we'll talk about these issues throughout the show today. Uh, I, I would say the, the primary micronutrients we're going to be focused on are boron, zinc, Copper, iron, manganese, molybdenum, cobalt, and chloride. So that's eight of them. It's eight different nutrients. It's not one. It's eight. And I'm not saying you need to apply all eight on your farm. You might be in great shape on six or seven. I don't know. But if you don't check, if you don't look at your soil, you don't maybe do a little bit of plant tissue analysis it's very easy to have a problem. So we'll talk about some of the problems that we've had on our own farm, so hopefully you can learn from our mistakes and hopefully not make the same mistakes on your own farm. So anyway, we'll get to that here as we go throughout the show today. But right now, let's go to the Ag PhD mailbag.
1: It's the mailbag! All right, this my first comment here. This comes from OB. You said we were talking about starting out in farming, but actually I think this... Pertains to what Brian was just talking about. He said, so many people get overwhelmed by the big picture and don't work on the small things that make up the big picture. One thing at a time is my motto. Hey, that's great. Absolutely. And just what Brian was saying here, too, that you got to work on all those little details that sets the stage for the big picture that's coming up. David writes, I know you guys are focused on larger scale agriculture. However, I was listening to a show about continuing education, which I believe in as well. And I was wondering if you offer any seminars, courses on smaller scale operations, greenhouse sizes, aquaculture, et cetera.
0: Well, we do a lot of soils clinics and that absolutely pertains to anyone in agriculture period because that nutrition for the soil goes all the way to livestock, to humans. And I yeah, I don't care if you've got just a greenhouse or if you farm 20,000 acres. It's all the basic same stuff. And it's really important to know those things. And that's basically our topic today, just a little condensed. It's going to be just micronutrients today. But yeah, I mean, some of these herbicide things, you know, it's not necessarily going to apply to you. If you've got a small scale operation, you can go pull eight weeds in your greenhouse. But I mean, we do cover a lot of things that affect every person in agriculture.
1: Hey, thanks for the feedback. We appreciate that, David. This is from Stuart. He's over in the U.K., and so I was listening to you guys talk about atrazine. I'm surprised that it's still a legal labeled option to use it pre-emerge when it leaches as much as it does. We don't Me have too. that labeled here in the UK, but I believe Syngenta is still making it here in the UK and exporting it out. Yep. That's that's quite interesting, Stuart. You know, we, we do talk about atrazine a lot because it still is widely used, and it's a very safe herbicide in terms of human safety these types of things in it. And it also is contact activity as well as some soil residual, but using it at the right time of the year, you're absolutely right. We've got to use that when we've got a growing crop and growing weeds out there as much as possible.
0: Yeah. So I we, we encourage all farmers to avoid the use of atrazine pre-emerge because that's where almost all the issues from atrazine come. When it gets down into the groundwater, that's a real problem. And we just don't want that to happen. It gives everybody an ag a black eye. So what we encourage you to do, like Darren said, use it in crop. Spray it post-emerge. Then it's much safer, far less chance it gets in groundwater. Well, stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's about time. Applied at planting, new
2: Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient flutriafol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind in-furrow Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions.
3: Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farmshop
2: MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more.
4: You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck.
2: How about some options?
4: Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and Nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy to handle formulation. <laughs> Goose deck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. I would encourage you right now, if you're driving, you may want to stop for just a second. Our next guest is going to have some compelling information for you, I'm sure. You'll want to jot down a few notes. If you're at home, I would say get a notepad out with plenty of, of room to write for the next 20 minutes or so at least. Our next two guests have got a, a ton of experience with micronutrients that we're going to be talking about today. And I know for Brian and me, we take a lot of notes during the show because we're trying to learn as well. That's that's one of the reasons that actually our sister Janelle gets such excellent guests for us. Maybe she knows how much more Brian and I need to learn and get better at. I don't know. But anyway, we've got Alan Perry on next uh, with Farm Technologies Network. He's a consultant up in Maine. Alan, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate having you on.
5: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: I'm not trying to put any pressure on you by telling everybody they better get their notepads out, but I got a bunch of questions for you about micronutrients and and uh, I, I know you're the right guy to ask these questions of. When we think about micros, one of the most popular questions we get from farmers is, do I have to build my soil up or can I address a lot of the micros with foliar applications?
5: um i guess it's like a lot of those things i could say yes to one side of that question and no to another um the key i think for micronutrient management uh, you can't fill a great big hole in fertility with micronutrients so if you haven't got your calcium magnesium um potassium some of the bigger items that we work with if those are too far out of line uh, you're not going to overcome some of the issues just by working on micronutrients, and they're quite expensive. So we like to get our majors in line first and then start addressing micros. But, yes, uh, if we have a problem to address, especially during the growing season, foliar is probably how we'll do it. It's quicker and more inexpensive.
1: All right. Now, you you mentioned phosphorus, too, about building things up. One of the things that we've been working on in our farm is trying to not – have excessive phosphorus, but where we do have a little excessive phosphorus, trying to get the micros up at higher levels too. Do you believe in ratios of these micronutrients to phosphorus, or how do you kind of dial in exactly how much of each micro you need?
5: Uh, Ultimately, you've got to learn to be a better farmer, and that sounds kind of like a cliche, but the plant will tell you if you can learn to read it. So concentrate on what happens with the plant when you add and don't add. And you might try two or three different rates with something before you kind of get a sense. Most people are very timid that they're going to do a lot of damage with them, and so they, they really don't use enough in some cases, but they can be damaging. So you, you kind of have to have a feel. It's good to have a, a coach or a guide, if you will, a, a, an agronomist or somebody that can, can guide you. Um, but we, we watch the crop a lot. And we still feel like oftentimes we need to be more aggressive than we are.
1: You know, that's one thing too that we've heard from a lot of the high yielding corn, soybean, wheat growers that they're really watching the crop, taking notes to see, okay, I did this a week or two later. Here's the difference I saw in the plants or that I noted on a plant tissue test. Do you feel like you're getting accurate data out of plant tissue tests on micros?
5: Uh, we feel like we're always getting data. Uh, The (laughs) trick is, can you read it? Um, And, you know, it's a little bit, if if you said the temperature was zero and I said it was 32, how could we both be right? Well, you're reading in Celsius and I'm reading in Fahrenheit. So if you don't know how the lab is uh, shaking the test tube and what acid they're using and some of those kinds of things, then the numbers are numbers and they may be quote accurate, but they don't tell you anything. So it's it's difficult. And in most of the cases, uh, we're far more aggressive than the labs. We just spike all those microbes right past what they think is toxic. Uh, but the plant tells us that we're still okay. Um, so uh, one of my growers once I thought was a very did a very clever thing. He told me we were working on boron, and it was a potato grower. And he said, I can't tell which of you guys is right. So let's kill some potatoes with boron and find out what it takes. And that's what we set out to do. And we learned a lot about what it would take and what it looked like and how long and all that kind of stuff. You might consider that uh, in some cases.
1: Well, I know with boron, talking to, to growers who have pulled different leaves on the plants, they say, I do my foliar app and I shove it into that leaf But then a leaf or two later, I'm short on boron again. Are we better off taking the whole plant in some cases, or are we better off just taking it leaf by leaf? Uh,
5: It depends a little bit on the crop, and it depends on the time of year. But there's a huge difference from, I'll say potatoes, for example, from the third leaf to the fourth leaf to the fifth leaf from the top. The levels will be totally different. Uh and so again you got to learn you want to be consistent and you want to learn to to look at the same thing year after year so that you you can make some comparisons but there's a, some of the some of the elements can be translocated from old leaves to young leaves some cannot um there there's a fair bit to learn uh before you spend a whole lot of money trying to fix some things but but we're getting much much better at it
1: All right when it comes to to sending in soil tests Do you like one extraction method over the other in terms of micronutrient availability? We get a lot of soil tests sent to us. Some have the DTPA extraction. Some are malic tests. Uh, There's just all kinds of different ways to do it. Do you find one being more accurate?
5: Uh, The one that I am leaning towards is the one I spent the most time learning to read. Uh, We use an Albrecht test. And Dr. Albrecht, back when he set it up, was trying to get a test that most closely resembled what the plant could do and still be a little bit pessimistic. In other words, he didn't want to tell the grower, you've got lots of phosphorus and find out later you didn't. He'd rather have a little extra. So so we lean on that, and since I've learned to read that, I'm comfortable. But we are looking at other things. Uh, uh, the best, The best thing that you can never trick is the plant. Uh, I I might fool you someday, but I'm not going to trick a corn plant. It will either respond or it won't. Um, And you should read that and, and lean on that.
1: You know, one of the micros that we've really struggled with on our farm, and we also get a lot of questions about, is manganese. And I know there's a few different things there. High pH soils seem to be tricky for manganese. So I guess any tips you have regarding high pH and and dealing with manganese? But then also for a number of growers that have got the manganese number now exceeding the iron number, I know that creates some issues too. Could you talk through that situation?
5: Yes. Uh, I think that, that uh, when we get into soil situations, Minnesota, North Dakota up there where the magnesium is way higher, California where sodium is way higher than you wish for, a foliar is a way to get around some of that soil chemistry. You can bypass that, if you will, by, by going through the leaf. So there's a place where foliar can be your friend. Uh, In terms of iron and manganese, we like to have the iron level 10% higher than the manganese or a little better. Uh, And we'd like to have manganese levels on our test at 225 parts per million. Um, Most cases, not too big an issue, but there are places where that, like you say, that can be upside down. Um, We use iron sulfate sometimes if we want to work on the iron. Uh, molasses is a great source of iron. Uh, it's organic and, and inexpensive. If you're anywhere near a sugar beet plant, um, you can get molasses. Um, so, again, we look at that, but if your calcium magnesium levels aren't pretty close to right, you may never see a benefit of trying to change the microbes a little bit.
1: Yeah, that, that is interesting. We've got about one minute left, Alan. How about flavor? Do you see the micros changing the flavor in some of the fruits and vegetables that you're producing?
5: Absolutely. We even have consumers who know nothing about what we're doing call us to say, what did you do to make things taste better? Uh, color, flavor, storability, um the way, uh, the way a baked potato smells when you cook it, those are all trace mineral elements uh, that create that. And so we really see a lot of benefits uh, when we get those levels, even if we're not right, if we can just supplement and keep adding uh, to get rid of some of the stress.
1: Yeah, that is really interesting stuff. We're talking with Alan Perry up in Maine. Alan, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the information, and uh, Happy New Year to you.
5: Hey, same to you.
1: Talking about micronutrients on our show today, we're also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. I, I just took a whole bunch of notes there. I had a lot of questions. Maybe you've got some different ones. If you do, please send them in. We'll ask them today, or, or maybe Brand and I might even have the answer already. We've definitely been working on micronutrients hard on our farm, trying to get things in line because we've seen much better stress tolerance on a year like 2020 where we dried out late in the season. Our crop used less water when we had our micros in balance. That's one of the reasons we're talking about it today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit DelaroComplete.us today. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating.
1: The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe next spring with
2: Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed treatment from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking to have your seed pre-treated with Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. When it comes to
4: innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Panther, Credit Extreme, and Cheetah for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to burn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these challenging times, we know you're under pressure. New Farm's here to help.
3: Get Tough on herbicide resistant weeds. Add Tough 5 EC into your post-emergence tank mix and increase control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds that plague corn, such as Palmer amaranth and waterhemp. Tough 5 EC is a selective contact herbicide with an underutilized mode of action that provides faster kill and application flexibility for post-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5 EC or visit belchemusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
6: Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing ExtendFlex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at ExtendFlexSoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
1: back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about micronutrients on our show today. And I just want to make sure, I, I love this, what Alan Perry said to, to start things out. He said, look, we got to get the big things in balance first but then the micros we got to we got to take care of them and pay attention along the way. So don't think that we're trying to reveal a silver bullet here today. Oh my goodness. All I have to do is get zinc and I'm just going to win. I'm going to get tons of yield. No, no, no. You got to have the other stuff in balance too. Got Paul Borges with us right now. He's a consultant out in California. Paul, thanks for joining us.
7: How you guys doing?
1: Yeah, we're doing pretty good. We're talking micros today. So I was just waiting for that silver bullet email to come in from somebody that, wow, zinc, yeah, that sounds know, like the answer. know when that comes in.
7: <laughs>
1: okay, <laughs> okay. So you raise a lot of different crops out there and, and get to work with a lot of different soil type situations, irrigation, dry land, everything else. What do you see with micronutrients when a grower comes to you with a, a field that is really drastically short in micros? Where do you begin with all that?
7: Well, go back to the salt test number 1 and see where where we're at with all the levels. And then I'll come back with like we had a, a um a field with some cabbage that was shorter than the rest and in that block the major short piece was copper was below 1, one uh 1. 1.2 parts per million we bumped it up to a little over 2 and the club root that it was happening with it went away and the plants took off and when it got ready for market, they were close to the right size sometimes it's something very small that can make a a big difference.
1: You mentioned that with copper and disease issues, and I know we've got a number of growers, especially on the organic side, that have utilized high rates of copper for a long time, and we've gotten the question, okay, I got a little carried away with my copper there for a few years, and now I'm sitting at five parts per million, ten parts per million. What do you do in the excess situation on micros like that?
7: On the excess side... I make sure that everything else that works with it is, a, is even with it or above it. Copper at 5 and even 10, you're okay. Like if you go to berries, strawberries, raspberries, uh, we actually try to get it closer to 10 because they're always touching the fruit, and that helps with the lexicity of the fruit skin. So when they're touching it, they feel firmness. And as long as we stay that 10 and below right there for that kind of fruit, it works out great. Uh, but it goes back to the big stuff where's your where's your calcium? Where's your mag? That's gonna be the big dictator of what you're gonna be doing.
1: Do you get a lot of questions about some of the micros like cobalt and molly and nickel, or is there more focus on the copper and zinc and iron?
7: Uh, we start, we started doing some research back here on almonds. We've seen it in alfalfa with Molly uh, on our real sandy grounds sometimes we've 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 tested for it. And the numbers are good. And other times, on other fields, it's below, you know, on the low side. So we're actually working on some trials right now with almonds on bloom and flower uh, with some fields that are low in molly, comparing them to the fields that we have decent molly levels to see if that could change the the crop at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, interesting. It It's something you don't need a lot. Do you normally figure it one part per million, or what are you looking for on a molly level?
7: Yeah, one part, just like 1.2 parts per million. Uh, like, we've seen it work in alfalfa real good where we got some real sandy ground that didn't have any molly in it. You give, you know, it ain't much. It's very little, uh, like 8 ounces of molly, and you see a huge difference in the, in the alfalfa. And on the trees, we're trying to see if it's going to hold... Uh, Give us better flowering, and we don't think it's going to show up. We didn't see we've seen a difference this year, but I think the difference we should see the difference is the falling season for the mollyan trees. Um, and the same thing with everything else is where, where is where is our zinc levels? Because without the zinc and the phosphate working together, then we don't have the root structure we want to pick up all these all these nutrients we need.
1: You mentioned the phosphorus and the zinc, and I know that's something for. Uh, a lot of growers that are putting on manure or heavy rates of compost and, and some of the different additives that are going out, all of a sudden we see phosphorus levels, depending on the source they're using, getting substantially higher or out of balance with some of the other nutrients out there. Is zinc probably the primary one as far as micros that if you get yeah. that phosphorus level up, you really got to get zinc up too?
7: Exactly. Yeah. we uh, We know guys like, we know some of the dairy guys around us and uh, we definitely work on the zinc levels to keep them happy with the high phosphate levels and potassium and then the guys that are using compost and trees that are really low uh, phosphates are now getting to a good number or they've overshot it so we got to make sure we got enough zinc we'll run zinc throughout the whole season in foliar in water runs with some 32 or some nitrogen going out we'll add a little bit out of time to help offset the the deficit
1: yeah, we've we've got zinc levels up pretty high, I think, anyway, compared to what they were. A lot of our soils here were uh, one or two part per million kind of level, but where we've got phosphorus levels that are up significantly, we may have double digit zinc numbers. Do you see the same kind of thing there?
7: Yes, like our zincs around here. Like if the dairymen were actually running uh, zinc sulfate in the foot baths, then our fields actually, you know, we might have twenty-five, thirty parts per million of zinc. In the in the soil, just because they are always injecting it into the ground, you know, into the field from the lagoon. But the dairies that don't use it, we definitely have to install. It. We have to definitely add some zinc in. And once it gets up there, close to 20 parts per million, depending on how high the phosphate is, you can see the difference in the uptake of the crop
1: interesting okay you mentioned sandy ground before and we were talking about a couple different things there but we didn't mention the boron in the sandy ground in your area is that one that you've just got to feed all through the year too
7: yes yeah no that's uh that's one of those that we spot feed here and there if we're doing dry we'll put some out early in this in the year of, of like for trees or even at the beginning of the season with alfalfa uh, 10 pounds of a borock Of boron, not actual boron, but the 15%. And then, uh, and if we have irrigation system, then we'll run little shots throughout the season to keep the boron in the plant for the next season.
1: Do you notice a difference for us in, in our dry land production here? We notice the crop being much more efficient with water. Obviously zinc helps with that, but just overall in general, if we've got micros up, it seems like we can get by with less water.
7: No, it's, there's something, you know, Mother Nature's a lot smarter than we are. There's something, if you have these levels where they want, it's amazing what these plants will do and how much of it will retain.
1: How about with soil health? Do you notice a big difference there in terms of soil microbial activity when you get micros in line?
7: Yeah, like I'll walk onto a new piece of ground and I'm always looking at the soil, if we got over here, if we get warm activity, then I know the calcium's in the mid-60s, close to 70%, and the mag should be, you know, in the low teens or high teens, and you can just feel, you know, as you walk on it, you can feel how tight the soil is or how loose it is just by the warm activity, and when you dig down, you could just, I mean, you could just smell it when you pick up the dirt
1: yeah i I like I like smelling the dirt as well that that uh, is one thing that I see too that that you just can notice it even with smell okay, one last thing we got about one minute left uh when Alan Perry was on, he mentioned sodium problems, and I know you certainly have some areas with those. How do you yes. work around them when it comes to micros?
7: when it comes to micros, it's gonna be uh like for it's always gonna be spoon feeding to offset what the, what the sodium is doing, especially potassium. I guess def, definitely have to spoon-feed potassium through the season to offset what sodium is doing. So by running a little bit during the irrigations, we'll break it up over three or four irrigations to offset what the sodium is trying to do and put in the, what we want into the plants.
1: We're talking with Paul Borges out in California. So, Paul, is it harvest today? Is it uh, mid-crop for mo- many of the crops you're raising? Is it planting season? What's it like right now?
7: Uh vegetables, you name it, it's going on planting, cutting um cutting. Uh all the almond guys, everybody's doing ground prep, getting ready for next season. Uh dairy guys planted their oats or forage. And everything else is kinda of on fence so we got some rain the other day, so we're happy. I'm hoping to get some more here this week.
1: Yeah, well you take all the rain out there, that'll maybe be less snow for us. It's snowing pretty good here today. <laughs> hey Paul, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Happy New Year. Yeah, you too. Talking about micronutrients on our show today. Also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back.
3: You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds.
6: I'll take predictability, where I can get it.
3: With their CropWise seed selector, NK Seeds combines local knowledge and local data to show me where their seed fits.
8: And even where it doesn't.
0: Because out here, predictability is hard to come by. And success matters. Find your seed at
2: nkseeds.com.
1: back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Talking about micronutrients on the show today. Brian, you want to talk a little more micros or do you want to take a couple of questions?
0: Uh, okay, I'll, I'll talk about micronutrients just a little bit. A couple of things that we've really noticed on our own farm. The phosphorus to zinc ratio and the phosphorus to copper ratio. Now, you probably have heard about phosphorus to zinc that's been a big thing talked about for a long time roughly 10 to 1 phosphorus to zinc but you can fine tune that on your farm by just simply taking a look at your yield in all your soil test grid point spots and you'll see where your best yields come from and what the ratios are there and then you try to adapt Okay, But you can do the same thing, and you should do the same thing with phosphorus to copper, and that's one of the things we're working on on our own farm right now because our data in the last three years has really revealed that, that we need it to be probably 30 to 1. I still don't have it exactly fine-tuned, but somewhere around 30 to 1 for us in corn and soybeans, and I would include wheat in that as well, but especially in corn and soybeans, a 30 to 1 ratio of phosphorus to copper that's where we're able to maximize yield. So when we start getting these ratios off, the phosphorus ratios to zinc and copper, for example, when they start to get off, we've got a problem. Darren mentioned earlier, okay, if manganese gets to be Uh, a lot higher than iron, for example, we can see some yield issues. Molybdenum is one where, you know, I'd really focus on the other five, boron, zinc, copper, iron, and manganese first. But with molybdenum, you need some, especially for the legume crops, alfalfa and soybeans. So we want to be at least at a part per million there. Cobalt is something that's really important for livestock. And then chloride, there are a lot of people that, that get all worried about chloride, especially when we start talking wheat. But you can fix the chloride thing super easy. Just use at least a little bit of potash every year. You don't even have to use a whole lot. But chloride is fairly leachable. Chloride is somewhat similar to boron sulfate and not quite as bad as nitrate. But I mean, they're all leachable to some degree. So we've got to continue to feed that that soil, feed that crop every year just to make sure that we aren't running short. Alright, uh, let's jump back to the phone lines. And Uh, Go ahead there, Darren. We've got
1: David in Missouri coming up right now with a question for us. David, how are you doing today?
8: I'm doing real good. Uh, I'm a retired farmer in Scott County, Missouri, and uh, we've had two years of what I call abundant rain. Uh, Not necessarily overwhelming, but it just kept the growing season uh, uh, going almost like irrigation. And uh, I'm in the hills in northern Scott County where we have steep, Short hills and highly erodible soil and a lot of clay. And I've noticed uh, how my, the man that rents my ground now, he, he's all into no-till, and that's great because it, we've had some really good yields the last few years. But a lot of the neighbors are out there with their deep chisels, chilly, chiseling their ground, deep cultivating their ground, and, and I got to thinking, is it really appropriate if there's too much moisture in the ground and you do that? So I'm just wondering when it's right and not right to detail in in like a clay soil.
0: Yeah, the the whole thing, David, is when it's right is very a very subjective question. So you're going to get a different answer from 50 people if you ask 50 people. And I would just say this, our opinion is always whenever you're going to do tillage, we'd like to have the soil relatively dry. If it's real wet, we're going to create more compaction, more smearing, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to cause issues. And especially when it's erodible land, if we're doing that tillage well before the ground freezes up, then we've got a problem because we could get some big rains and now we wash stuff down the hill. So as much as we can, we want to get a crop growing back in there again, whether it's a cover crop in the fall or an actual crop, grain crop in the spring, whatever it is. The point is we want something to hold that soil in place as much as possible. Now, one of the suggestions I've had for some of the guys in those kind of situations is I said, look, there's nothing saying you have to do all your tillage in one year. If you're just doing some deep tillage, you can do that once every 10 years, take some of the compaction out down below and you're probably in good shape. So why don't you just do a few strips? So that way, even if there is a little bit of erosion, it can't go very far if if you do whatever, 30-foot strips or 20-foot strips, and th- that would at least help alleviate some of the issue. But yes, we totally understand. We also farm some highly erodible land, maybe not as steep as yours. Uh, we try to do some deep tillage from time to time, but we do a fair amount of strip till now. We used to do a lot of no-till, but we're so dark Darn cold up here. That we have an issue with that, so we switched our no-till to strip-till. But it really helped us on the erosion side, and it also really helped us to build our soils organic matter. So a lot of good things there. But I certainly understand the guys that do want to do at least some tillage because that was part of our issue in no-till as well. I wish before we would have started no-tilling that somebody would have said, "Hey." Just at least one time, go out there and do some deep tillage to bust up some of the compaction layers because we had some from our prior tillage at about four inches and about eight inches and then some even deeper than that. So if we just would have gone out there one time and then gone to no-till, I think our no-till could have been a lot more successful.
8: Yeah, and that could have probably helped the transition from, right. from right. regular till to no-till. Too. Right.
0: Yep, yep. So, yeah, we just didn't have the ground in the best shape when we went to no-till. And, you know, everything we'd heard is, oh, no-till by itself is going to fix the problems. Well, it didn't. It didn't. And, you know, it's just you live and you learn. And so that's why we talk all the time here about... Our mistakes, and you know, hopefully we pass those things on to the next generation so at least they don't make the same dumb mistakes that we've made. We want the best that we can get out of that soil. And yeah, there are so many great things about no-till, but the biggest disadvantage we saw is, well, biggest couple of things. Number one is we can't warm the soil up as quickly, and that's a problem in our environment to the immobile nutrients like phosphorus, zinc, copper. They just don't move down in soil. So you've got to get them placed better than what we did and then the last thing is just that whole compaction deal and our problem here is when we raise corn and soybeans we don't have time to raise these cover crops that could potentially help bust up that compaction now in your geography that's one thing that could help a guy could raise some turnips or radishes or do something some deep-rooted thing that would help bust up that compaction and maybe then that would alleviate the reason for doing tillage I don't know, but our problem was always, well, we planted right as the ground was thawing in the spring. We harvested as the ground was freezing in the fall. There was no time to raise a cover crop. That that was our, our big issue and the reason why the tillage would have helped us potentially more than it could help you guys. Well, thank you very much. You bet. Yeah. Thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it.
8: Yeah.
1: Thanks, David. Really appreciate that. Great to talk about that.
0: Yeah. And I, I hope for all of our listeners there, you can, you can see things really vary depending on where you farm, the length of the growing season, how hilly things are, how heavy the ground is. So we try to cover a lot of the bases here when, when you hear us on the show, but you'll also hear us say all the time, hey, try stuff on your farm because there might be certain practices that work for most people but certainly not for everybody. So we, I, I, I'll tell you too, if you have specific questions for us and if you give us your parameters, we can usually answer that question fairly well because we have experience almost everywhere, almost every soil type, almost every weather condition. So we, we, we have lots of years of experience working with thousands and thousands of growers.
1: All right. Uh, I've got a number of questions that have come in on looking at different soil tests, and also about our upcoming workshop. Uh, let me just start this one here before we run into a break. But we've got this from George in Bulgaria. He said, I'm listening to your radio show, finding a lot of useful information for my farm. I'm sending you an extract of my six-inch soil samples, which, by the way, he sent into Midwest Labs. And he said, I want you to take a look at those and share your opinion about what you think I should do. Also, I'm using uh, a strip-till cultivator to apply my potassium, phosphorus, zinc, and copper. And I'm also working on some ratios. And I know what you guys have talked about here with phosphorus to zinc, phosphorus to copper, and also getting potassium up into the right base saturation percentage. So I want you to check my math a little bit. Let's see if I'm on the right track for that. Hey, George, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the information and and the work that you're going to up front to get this right. And I know we're often building variable rate maps for our farm, and that's perhaps what we're looking at here. It looks like we're out of the same field. We're looking at some grid samples here, but I would caution you to make sure you're looking at grid samples rather than one sample for the whole field. We'll take George's question right after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio.
3: It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer – so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker treated nitrogen.
6: You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience
2: and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen from conception to completion. There's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Give your corn a strong defense
4: against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress that means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply IndoPrime SC at indoprimecorn.com.
6: Always read and follow label instructions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy all the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid precision crop nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
4: You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bedliner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie-down hooks and stainless steel toolbox. You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy to handle formulation. Goose deck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at OpenSkyHerbicide.com.
6: A history of success means proven performance. But let's call performance what it is profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of Decal brand corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support. Let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how DeKalb brand corn can help you realize a future of performance. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
1: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, thanks for joining us today. Right in the middle of the AgPhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 AgPhD. Or you can email us radio at agphd.com. And we got an email from George in Bulgaria, who listens to our radio program and sent some soil samples over, trying to get his potassium up to 4% base saturation, trying to get his phosphorus levels up to about 80 parts per million and trying to get zinc and copper in line as well. Brian, how's it look with, with his program and his tests?
0: Yeah, so Darren ran the numbers too, and I, I looked him over a little bit, and we both think that he's got the math right. He sent us his formulas and everything, and I'm not going to explain that over the radio. I don't think that makes super great radio, but I'll just say... Yes, what? mathematical
1: a, equations, Brian. It sounds <laughs> right. like fun talk. <laughs>
0: right, but he he did need a fair amount of potassium and some some phosphorus. But so let me be a little more specific here with his tests. The first issue that we always talk about is what soil pH. Well, he's got a lot of five one to five five pH levels. His soil is pretty heavy, around thirty for CEC. So it is going to take some lime to get those levels up, and that's what I would want to do. That's where my first money would probably go is at least in some lime. I'm not saying you have to get it all the way up to 6'3 in one shot. I wouldn't do that, but I would at least get some lime out there because there will be an economic response from that almost certainly as long as you're not paying crazy ridiculous money for lime. The potassium, I see why he's asking about the potassium because most of his tests are less than 2% base saturation K, which we know is yield limiting in, especially in corn, soybeans, and wheat. So, and which crops did, did he, did he say nope, which crops? No, he didn't say which okay, crops. I okay. But anyway, we we know for corn, soybeans, and wheat, less than 2% base saturation K is absolutely yield limiting. Some crops it's even more. Anyway, so yes, he needs a fair amount of potassium and yes, he needs a fair amount of phosphorus, but for some of these potassium things, it's a lot. What's, what's okay. The last question?
1: line on his email, make sure, read that because oh. I I kind of missed the point there.
0: I think. Oh, okay, but anyway, here's here's where I'm going with this. Need a lot like on the potassium side. Would I put out a thousand or thirteen hundred pounds of potassium in one shot? No. Have we done it before? Sure. It hasn't hurt anything. But I just I wouldn't spend that much money. I really wouldn't. I would go at least double what crop removal is, and I would just continue on a build program until I get my levels up to where I want them to be. Uh, let's see. Okay, yeah, I, I didn't know if there was anything else in particular that just, we were after just here. Just talking
1: about banding and using a Other than, rate.
0: yeah, I was going to read that last part. Okay, so he says, I'll use a strip-till cultivator to apply potassium, phosphorus, zinc, and copper, and I'm planning to apply a one-third rate. Uh, okay, so first of all, what we have found with with nutrients that don't move very well. So potassium, phosphorus, zinc, copper in heavy soils, they're not going anywhere. So yes, banding will allow you to get better uptake this year. We we did a long-term study on uh, p and K. At, I don't remember. I think it was 11 years. 11 straight years we did it. And we put on, and this is no joke, 50% more P&K in broadcast for 11 years in a row and had almost no yield gain where we'd put on the bandit And I mean, we, this was big acres. We did like 500 acres of band versus 500 acres of broadcast for 11 years. And we found exactly what the universities and the soils labs have been saying for a long time, that roughly you can put on about a third less potassium, phosphorus, zinc, and copper. So that's, I, I don't know, it looks like his email may have gotten cut off here. If you were planning to apply one third less, yes to apply one-third the amount, would I do that? Probably not. Now, I will say, if like for us, where we own the ground, we've been farming for lots of years, it's not our first day, so it's not like we're on our last dollar, I have no issue broadcasting, building up the soil, and looking at, okay, well, 10 years from now, I'm going to have a bunch more yield because I built up my soil really well. I don't care. It doesn't bother me at all. I certainly plan on farming a lot longer than that. But if you're looking at, hey, I have limited dollars, I'm renting the ground, I want faster uptake, for all those reasons, strip-tilling and banding the fertilizer is a really, really good way to go.
1: All right, thanks for for the questions and just all the the thought you put into that. I think that was very well done.
0: Yes. Oh, hey, there is one last thing, though. I I will say this. If you're going to start going on a big build program, I'm not super big on that in in furrow or in a band of any sort because now you're going to have lots of fertility in some zones and no fertility in other zones. So it's fine to be in my opinion. It's fine to be on at least a little bit of a build program because obviously your your ground is really short on certain nutrients. Okay? But don't get crazy carried away just uh, what here, I'll just tell you how we typically do it. So if let's say like our farm average is probably 225 bushel corn, I might shoot for 300 bushel corn and figure grain removal and put out what I need for 300 bushel corn in that strip and then call it good. Okay. So, I I mean, on average, that means I'm going to be on a little bit of a build program, probably a 20% build program. Uh, but I also have, hopefully, enough fertility there for my high-yielding spots. So that's, that's a lot of times the way I look at strip-till and the way I look at banding. Not necessarily that that's right for everybody, but that's usually what I do. I'm just trying to say, don't be putting on three times as much fertilizer you need all in a band. That, that, that could potentially cause some problems.
1: All right, Uh, I got some feedback here from Anthony about tiling. He said you guys were talking about tiling during the growing season. Just wanted to tell you what we're doing here in southeast Michigan, uh, northern Ohio. We're tiling in crop here. We do so on soybean fields that we plant early and then we try to tile before they emerge. If we have to, then we go in and replant those acres that that we tore up as we're doing this tiling with a lower maturity date bean. It's worked great for us. We've even run tile after harvesting winter wheat, then double crop beans on that land. And we might lose five to seven bushels the year that we do it, but in the long run, we're gaining 10 to 20 bushels for years to come. Per so year, it, right. It easily offsets that. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, thanks for the feedback, Anthony. That's, that's good stuff. All right. This uh, comes from Peter. He said a couple of things here. We were talking about fixing high pH soils, and also we were talking about doing some deep ripping, and he said, just wanted to add a few comments to the discussion here. He said, I don't have a drainage problem where I've got high pH, but I do have a lot of the other issues that you discussed. We started uh, cropping high amounts of organic matter, incorporating that, and then adding high populations of subsoil microbes, and we found that to be very easy and cost effective turning that residue into humus faster and that's helped us farming in these high pH soils. Hey, thanks Peter. We appreciate the the feedback there and you know, there are a lot of different ways to do things and in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, people are doing things a little bit different. So, it's good to get to hear that and kind of compare
0: couple of quick comments when he says organic matter i am going to assume he means organic material it's not fully decomposed and turned into organic matter quite yet when he puts it on the soil the second thing is well he might not have a drainage issue per se the point of getting tile out there and improving the drainage when you have excesses of things like magnesium sodium salts it's to more easily leach those out through the soil with natural rainfall so we've got to flush the excesses out we want to turn things like magnesium and sodium into salts a lot of times people will do that with sulfate and once they are salts then we can get them flushed out and then typically we find that the soil ph starts to correct itself and begins to go down
1: All right, uh, real quick here. This is from Willie. He says, what herbicide program can we use in corn pre-emerge with a residue without hurting crimson clover? We're planting inter-row when putting on 28% about knee-high. What about banding herbicide in the row and using Roundup Broadcast to clean up in between the rows? Would that be a possible solution, or are there
0: safe herbicides? Uh, Well, I don't know of any super safe herbicides, you know, it just depends on what weeds we're trying to kill. But here's here's the whole thing. So this is a he's he's trying to do it for a cover crop, or I don't, he, he
1: wants to have a corn pre emerge herbicide, but he doesn't want to hurt his crimson, crimson clover. He's going to plant it when the corn's knee high. That takes here, a lot here's, of good here's, options. Here's, here's, yeah,
0: but here's here's the problem, and we talk about this quite often on the show. We get too focused sometimes on the cover crop as opposed to the actual crop that makes us money. So. I'm not in favor of that. There's nothing I know that, that you can go out there with that isn't going to have at least a little bit of impact on that crimson, crimson clover. But I might use a group 15 or something like that. But I'd come up with a different plan and a different cover crop if I had to, if there's some herbicide that I say is fantastic for my corn.
1: All right. Thanks for the question, Will. Really appreciate that. Thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.